Okay, if you would please turn to the book of Ephesians. I'll be reading Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Ephesians 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Blessed is the reading of God's eternal, holy, infallible, and inerrant Word. So Father, we joyfully look at this verse today. And it's joyful because You have saved us in Your Son, Jesus Christ, the Lord. And therefore, there is always hope in our sin, in our failure, in our being sanctified. There is a sure anchor, a sure package of promises for eternal joy in You. And thus we know You are working in us as parents, as singles, as those still being raised in households, what is pleasing in Your sight. And so, Father, may that grace by the power of Your Spirit work in us as we contemplate Your Word and the implications of it this morning to the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Remember the larger context, the flow of what the Apostle Paul is saying. Marriage is one man and one woman coming together as one flesh to picture, to be a parable of the Gospel. Of Christ and His bride, the church. And then, usually... Most often, that one flesh union, they have babies. Not, not just in order to populate the world with more bodies, but for us who are believers, Paul's writing to us who are believers, it is for us who are believers to form and to make and to evangelize more followers for Christ. That's what he says. Bring them up in the Lord. A parent who does not immediately resonate with that as their main job, as a parent, as a supreme goal of their parenting, the evangelism of their own kids, it's, okay, I'm gonna, it's doubtful that they are actually a Christian. And in light of that, what I want to do first, before we go into the text, is to go to the end of the text and look at the last clause, and particularly the last word. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's not a throwaway word for Paul. Nurture them. Not just their bodies, where you feed and nurture Nurture them 
in the Lord. Bring them up. Train and mold them in the Lord. The whole context of Ephesians is gospel. Those first three chapters of the mercy of God plucking wretched, wrath-deserving sinners out of darkness by His undeserved mercy. And we come alive to Him. And many of us become married Pearsons and parents. And in the Lord, remember what Paul means by that from Philippians chapter 2 where he writes, the eternal God become a human being willingly to suffer and die the brutality of the cross and was raised from the dead. And then Paul goes on to say, therefore God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When Paul said that, the name that is above every name is not the name Jesus, the Messiah. What he means is that human being, that man who suffered and died and was raised and descended That Jesus is the eternal God. The Lord. He is Yahweh. That's the Greek word kurios that translates the personal name of God as He revealed Himself to Israel. Yahweh. Kurios. He bestowed on that human being in His resurrection and ascension. He is Yahweh. The Lord. And that's the reality of any of us who are believers. And then we have kids. And we are instructed to bring them up in discipline, admonition, correction, training, all in that resurrected Lord. Cloaked, therefore, in the gospel in all of our raising and disciplining and training. And so, as we provide structure and rules, in morality, to obey as we're raising our kids, they will feel their inborn, their innate fallenness and rebellion against God through their disobedience to us, their parents. I'm not done. In the Christian home, they'll feel that. That's a good thing in the context of being constantly inundated in that home and in that church community with the message of salvation 
in Jesus Christ, in His blood alone. Raise them up in the Lord. We are to raise our children first and foremost in light of the Gospel of salvation from our sin and their sin in Jesus Christ who is the Lord and the King and the Sovereign of the universe. He is the bearer of sins. He's the door to eternal life. He is our reconciliation with God. He is in absolute sovereign control and He will come back in judgment. And in unbounded, joyful happiness for all those who have loved His coming and being one of us. Bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord of the universe, the Gospel of salvation. Now, look at your text. Let's get into the nitty-gritty. And I want you to notice something that's peculiar about what Paul does here. We saw last week in verse 1, children, here's, here's your verb, here's your, here's your command, obey your parents in the Lord. In other words, obey mom and dad. But now in verse 4, he doesn't use that same word, parents. He uses a word that refers to one of the parents. Fathers, vocative case, addressing us. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but... Instead, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So, why does he do that? Well, the, the only reason that I can think of in this context is that Paul has been clear that within the marriage, the husband is the head. The one with the leadership burden which now I'm just going to assume when Paul's head, it means that's extending now to that family structure when kids come along. He's the head. He's an ultimate top authority over what's happening in the raising of those kids. Mothers, clearly from the text in verse 1 to 3, are in authority over the raising of their children in the household, but the husband is the head of the home. And so when everything starts to go haywire and in disarray, and it's a pattern of life, I think what Paul is saying is, dads, that's your problem first and foremost. Jesus will hold us fathers accountable first. And Paul's essentially saying, dads, do your job. Okay, now, if a dad has abandoned his post 
as being a father raising children in the Lord, then the mother is now the superior officer in that task. And that's a heavy burden to bear, particularly alone. And many, many mothers have done a magnificent job at it. I can think of two sitting in here right now. Paul did not write us a 230-page book on parenting tips for the Christian home. Look at verse 4. In the whole epistle of Ephesians, that's what he chose to say. Very few words. And there's two parts. Negative, positive. Not this, but this. And with just those few words, he decided to say this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, I thought I was going to deal with all of verse 4 this morning, but in the middle of the week, I realized it's not happening. So we'll come back for the second part. And I have to be, for some of you, this may be very easy. When I keep thinking, when Paul writes that, it's not easy for me. What did does he mean? He may think it's because I provoke my children to anger all the time and I want to protect myself. Okay. What are you laughing at? All right. So here's the process I go through. When Paul says, do not provoke your children to anger, does he mean if they're ever angry at you, mom or dad, You've done something wrong. I think most of you, I, I hope all of you, well, I don't think he means that. I mean, they're sinners, aren't they? They're commanded to obey. They have to struggle with disobedience. All right. So, does Paul mean, don't ever say anything or ever demand something from your kids that may result in them getting angry? think that's what he means. So you got to go back. What does he mean? I mean, it, every sinner that I've ever met, and I'm chief, and particularly sinners that are not into their adulthood and become full-grown adults, but being raised up, everyone I've ever met, they know what it is to experience anger because of an authority figure over them when that authority figure says something or demands something that is against their particular felt desire or will at that moment. So does that what Paul means? Don't provoke him to anger. Obviously not. Wash the dishes. Got an hour to do it. Take out the trash. Come home. What are you doing? Homework done? Turn the TV off and do your homework now. Often, these little sinners get perturbed. 
and they're not happy with it and get a bad attitude. So what I'm going to say at this point is clearly Paul doesn't mean that. He doesn't mean, dads, don't ever come against your child's desires or your child's will. Don't demand things that they're not in agreement with and might perturb them. In fact, much of parenting does precisely that. So what, what, what does he mean at the core? It, here's my best shot at it. And we'll have discussion after church, home group, whatever. But I think what he's doing, as he has been doing with the husband and the wife, etc., the submissive role, which he's doing with the kids now, and the leadership role, don't abuse it. There's a reason you have authority over your children. Just like there's a reason, husbands, you have an authority over your wife. It's to love her. It's to care for her. Like Jesus laid down His life for the church, you're supposed to do that. Fathers, don't you dare think that your authority is therefore to be used any old way you want it. In fact, it is not to be used to provoke your children to anger. In other words, your authority to command and instruct and to bring up, it is for their good. And because it's for their good, you must at times, often times, cross their wills if you intend to bring them up in the Scriptures. But what he's driving at, I think, is do not unnecessarily let that word sink in. Purposelessly, unnecessarily provoke your children to anger by demanding or coming against their wills, their desires as they grow into different stages of life and you're doing it for no clear or good purpose. Raising them up in the Lord. But instead, and this happens a lot, you do it because you're just a mean-spirited, domineering, controlling person and you treat your kids from that sin base. I'm the man. I'm the boss. You're not. That's it. Period. And you're aiming for their welfare at nothing in particular. The aim right here in the context and the way to really read the first negative, do not provoke your children to anger, is in light of the next clause. But bring them up. Bring them up in the discipline and the instruction in the Lord. Now, just for a moment, I want to go to the historical context. And we all have different cultures, etc. So let's go back. What, what is the historical context? The best I can read it from, from commentaries. For instance, Harold Horner, in his commentary, he writes this. 
Despite the severity of Greek parental control, up to that point he talked about, it, we would think that's pretty doggone domineering, <laughs> the Greeks, okay? Despite the Greek parental control, the Romans thought that the Greeks were somewhat lax regarding the attitude of children toward their parents. In the Roman family, the father had absolute control over all his family. The father's control over the son was for life. No age limit. He, he could imprison his son. He could scourge, shame, and punish him and sell him into slavery up to three times or have him killed. The son's position in the community was of no consequence. For instance, though his son might be a magistrate in government, he was still under his father's authority. The father had more power over his son than a master had over his slaves. So Paul, when he writes this to Asia Minor in the Roman Empire, he's speaking correction to something that's just in the air in the culture. He's speaking to that culture from which many of these men now have come up and come to Jesus now. And so he says to them, as he has throughout Ephesians, from the foundation of the world, God chose you to be adopted as His Son. And he lays out the constant grace and the mercy and the care. No, he, God is a God of discipline and judgment and all of that. But it's you see how your Father in heaven now treats you. Treat your children that way. Relate to your kids that way. Correcting them? Yes. Training them? Yes. Forming them? That's the next thing he's going to say. But it's for their good. Loving, caring, purposeful rules and demands. Or simply put, the way Paul says it, do not unnecessarily provoke your children to anger, but instead bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, as parents, our commands, our call for our children to obey us, it is not to be aimless without purpose. It is for their becoming disciplined and trained. And if they're coming to the Lord, which is our goal, to be matured, and to grow in Christ. To provoke your children to anger is the opposite of bringing them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Now, I've been at it for, you're almost 21, aren't you? Oh, wow. And congratulations on the baby boy, which you only wanted a boy. <laughs> and I'm not sure it might be because he's watched my eldest child here. I don't know. <laughs> But parenting is hard and it's humbling. Remember how much you knew before you started parenting? 
And this is why many of us parents, my mom did it to me, look in the eyes of our know-it-all children and say, may the Lord bless you with a child exactly like you. Someday. And if they're so blessed to have that child, their own know-it-allness will be humbled to the dirt. And that's a good thing. It's a good work of the Lord. So, only the negative aspect this morning because of time. Do not provoke your children to anger. I don't think there is a father, sure there is for the first week, month, three months, say you're ten years in or more, I don't think there's a father who has never sinned the sin of provoking their child or children to anger. So, I'm, I'm going to offer, there could be many, many, many more, but I'm going to offer a few examples of provoking anger in children that we should be aware of and try our hardest to seek to avoid. First, avoid demanding or commanding of them for no good reason. No good purpose. In other words, just whimsically, I'm in control and I'll just make up rules right now just because I, I can. There is no rhyme or no reason to it. Okay, now let me say something. This is where I come here. People would dis- disagree, I don't know. But there are times, because there are many, 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 many times constantly in life, Right, right, baby? Where because of fatigue, time, right now, just do it because I said so. I don't have time or energy at the moment to explain every little detail to you. I think that's part of parenting. I don't think it's necessarily wrong. But that would be wrong that if you did not have a reason that you could explain, there's no purpose. It's just an arbitrary rule. When we parents command and demand, but there is no reason, but it's just a use of irrational power plays and authority over our kids, I used to be a kid. When we do that, when parents do that, when authority does that, and it's a consistent thing, it drives them nuts. Crazy. They got questions. They want to know why. Is there a purpose? So, have reasons. Think through it. Why are you doing this? Raising them up in the Lord. And when the time comes, be able to explain. Secondly, be consistent. A lack of consistency in discipline and in rule breaking drives kids crazy. One day, there's the rule, right in front of mom or dad or mom and dad, they break the rule and they slough it off. Not a big deal. Next day they do exactly the same thing and one of them's in a bad mood and then the 
wrath of parental discipline comes crashing down upon them. It feels arbitrary to them. It, it, it feels not like there's a structure in my life, but it feels like I am held captive to this parent or that parent's emotional state at any given time. And they're utterly unpredictable and it causes uneasiness and an undue fear. And I would just have to think over time, it would just develop within them a deep-seated anger. So be clear. Be consistent. Third, when our children think that we are wrong, we're wrong in our rule or rules, we're wrong in our discipline, we need to seek to allow them to state their case. I know we're talking about different ages and stuff like that. It's hard for a two and a half year old to state the case. And you'll find, as I have, sometimes they're right. And we're wrong. We need to allow our children, as we are raising them, the human dignity for them to make their case. And that, I have to think, has got to be some kind of a release valve for any pent-up anger that they may have toward you as a mom or a dad. They are people also, and they want to be heard. Fourth, Look at the New Testament lists of the fruit of the Spirit. And look at the demands as parents to parent or children. And do your best to put them together. And look at the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. The works of the flesh, and particularly that, that word that keeps popping up in the New Testament called selfishness. And if our authority as parents is used from the sinful motive of our selfishness, well then it is precisely that, sinful. And it is wrong. And if we do that consistently in raising our children, it will provoke them to anger toward us. Don't provoke your children to anger by parenting them from a foundation of your own sinful selfishness. Fifth, God gives to us through birth, genetics, foster care, Adoption, real, particular souls that we are stewards over. And that at its core means, parents, we have to be very careful not to humiliate, belittle, or ridicule our children. Now, look, 
I don't mean fun, loving, playful parents who may banter and kids may banter back. Every family has different culture. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about mean-spirited, purposeful intent to put down, to hurt, and to shrink the soul of that kid, that young woman, that young man. As we are raising our kids, and they make mistakes, stupid, sinful blunders and boo-boos in life, parents are not to in some type of derogatory way, say, you're just an idiot. But you say something like, you learn something. They're already feeling shame. And not only that, then, I I mean, I don't know any adults at my age that can't do this, You go into the resources of your own sin and your own stupid mistakes and your own embarrassing, shameful things and you say, let me tell you about some boo-boos I made. We have a responsibility of authority, but it does not mean we are to lord it over them and look down upon them in some type of self-righteousness. We are to go down to them in their pain and their shame as fellow sinners. Sixth, every father who loves his kids according to God's pattern here will discipline, will have consequences for disobedience, will have law, will have rules. They're cloaked in Jesus. But there are laws. There are rules. And there are temporal consequences. But that, even though that's true, in doing so, the Bible says here, we've got to do that without provoking them to anger. Okay, that's... Now, here's... Say it this way. And I don't know anybody in here who does this. So it's nice to say. But it's out there. It's out there within Christian churches and everything. Do not treat your home like a marine boot camp. This Friday, many of us are going down to Sergio's graduation from marine boot camp. And before he went in, many of us watched on YouTube... What happens when they first come in off the bus into boot camp? Remember? Remember? Okay. If you treat your family that way, you are sinning. There's no relationship there. There's no love there. I'm fine with the Marines doing this. Okay? See a different purpose? but you're sinning. If you have little micro rules for every little thing around the house and you militantly demand instant and unquestioned obedience constantly or else there are draconian consequences, 
you may cause within them a righteous anger against you. Is there any human being in here who's never seen the sound of music? Okay, Remember the dad? The first part of the movie? It's all he was. He was military and he treated his kids that way. There's no relationship and why it's such a one of the reasons it's such a great movie is the change in him. He became a father. Became a daddy. Didn't do away with rules. But he had relationships. I watched this marine boot camp kind of thing growing up with the next door neighbors. I think one of them left home, right, Teresa, by high school. That's it, gone. I was in that house a lot growing up. And into, into adulthood, these children hated and wanted nothing to do with their dad. Don't bring them up that way. Bring them up in the gospel. <laughs> Is God your Father through Jesus Christ? He has rules, no matter what some Christians might want to tell you. There's morality. And there is a deep-seated sacrificial love that Jesus purchased to bring us to His Father as our Father. Be that to them. Two more, two more. Seventh, do not verbally abuse your children. Do not physically abuse your children or do not abuse them in any other way. Now, if I'm sitting down with Paul, this is what I think. Paul, I said this in a sermon one day that they should not slug violently and beat their children up physically or cuss them out and abuse them. Paul, is that an example of not provoking them to anger? I think he would say absolutely. But now in context of that, I may come back to this next week. Let me just say this. Thought through loving goal Oriented, physical spanking is not abuse. And I can say a lot about that, but not right now. But I will say this in the context of provoking to anger. Biblical spanking, the rod in Proverbs, is not meant to be a release of a parent's anger or frustration on a kid. Verbally, cussing out, belittling, angrily tearing down a child is directly opposed to the admonition, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Finally, Don't provoke your children to anger as professing Christians by hypocrisy. Now, by hypocrisy, let me say that a different way because people sometimes hear something I don't mean at all. 
By hypocrisy, I mean as a parent presenting yourself to your children as one who is not in need of constant forgiveness and strength to do better and to grow in Christ because you are yet a sinner. True Christianity is about sinners being saved by the sacrificial blood of Christ. And that goes for all those being saved, whether they're 12 years old under parental authority or whether they are the parent. We are all being sanctified. And therefore, to act as a parent, as if you don't sin or need forgiveness, is hypocrisy. And it's a denial of the Scripture. So when we sin against our children by uncontrolled anger or unfairness or we have wrongly imputed motive to them that was not accurate and we find it out, we should admit it and ask them to forgive us. That's the Christian life. That is raising them up in the Lord. And so now, let me just say as I close. Parenting. Okay, pause. What do I mean by that? I don't mean that you got someone pregnant or that a person got pregnant and gave birth to a kid. I mean parenting. Kids. It is one of the toughest, most difficult, and most important jobs in existence. Parents are those who parent particular souls who were made in the image of God, whether they come from your genetic pool or not. And so let me say this now. Because this was the negative aspect this morning. Parents who love Christ don't feel overly burdened. Don't feel debilitated in anything you heard. You belong to Christ. He died for your new life and for your eternal resurrected life that's coming someday. He's still working on us. Justified. And yet, sinners. And He's working in us what is pleasing in His sight. And so as we go on parenting, do it in the words of Paul here from Romans 8. There is therefore Right now, before God and your soul, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and of death. Because God, He is done with the law weakened by our own sinful nature and flesh, could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for our sin, condemned sin in 
the flesh. So as we go on parenting, and I talked to, to one of them where the youngest is over 20 now, there's a parenting changes, relationships change, but still parenting in one sense or another. If God is gracious to us, we stand on that gospel. His grace and His mercy to us as parents is forming us, helping us, and His Mercy is new every morning. Yesterday's parenting consists of imperfection, of flaws. Today's parenting will be sprinkled with grace if we open up to Him. If we walk in desperateness, in repentance, and being filled with the Spirit. And as we do that, and walk as parents with our children, as fellow sinners, then we can allow the messiness of family life, the messiness of parenting, authority, obedience, and how messy that can get. And we can continually allow that dynamic in the home for us and our children to drive us constantly to the only true hope and joy for eternity. Jesus Christ and Him crucified for our forgiveness of sins, for our reconciliation, for our future resurrection, and for our ongoing empowerment to raise our children up in the Lord, to be followers of the Savior. Come. Father, on behalf of all here, who are parents, on behalf of those who are younger, who most likely will be parents, I represent them and ask, help us. Help us not get overly tired and fatigued and worn out. Help us guide, demand, discipline, grow, and finally release those under our care is a, a bird out of the nest. But help us do that cloaked in the glorious, wonderful, saving Gospel. May our children know when they come into adulthood more than anything, my mom, my dad loved Jesus because Jesus was their Savior. May we be those who are hungry for repentance and the Word and prayer and Christian fellowship, may it just rub off in your providential salvific work. For they are sanctified by your grace, Father, because they are in Christian families, church-going families. Pray, Father, that None 
none in the sound of my voice now be lost. But we all will be lost. Unless your wind blows and we see the miracle of new birth that our children will say, your God, Dad, your God, Mom, is my God. Your Savior is my Savior. And it owes nothing to them or to us, but to your sovereign providence. Do it, Lord Jesus. Do it. Amen.